Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, more developments in the United Auto Workers corruption scandal should illustrate cautions for conservatives courting big labor. Twitter announces a controversial proposal to restrict political advocacy on its service, and we dig into the world of professional corporate pandering to left progressivism under the label corporate social responsibility. Tell me if you've heard this one before. Federal prosecutors have filed charges against a former United Auto Workers official for financial crimes related to a kickback scheme. Well, this week it's the same story, but there's a new defendant, Joe Ashton, former UAW representative on the board of General Motors and a former vice president of the union, faces charges of fraud and money laundering conspiracy. Ashton becomes the 13th person in the highest-ranking UAW official charged to date in a years-long federal probe of corruption in the UAW and the training centers it ran in collaboration with management of the Detroit Three automobile manufacturers. Ashton may not stay the highest-ranking UAW official in the dock for very long, however. The Detroit News alleged that UAW President Gary Jones was the union official identified as UAW Official A in charging documents filed against Edward Robinson, a UAW regional official who was charged with conspiring to embezzle six-figure sums of union dues. And while the corruption allegations surround Jones, union members will still have the privilege of paying him, a salary that last year amounted to $178,417 before his official business expenditures and other disbursements. Last Saturday, Jones was granted a paid leave of absence. Reportedly, Jones will have to repay salary paid to him should he be convicted. For good measure, corruption allegations continue to swirl around Jones's predecessor, Dennis Williams, whom the Detroit News identified as UAW official B in charging documents against Robinson, who allegedly conspired to embezzle upwards of $1.5 million in dues, allegedly largely to spend on various personal luxuries. Jones was replaced at interim by Rory Gamble, a UAW vice president in charge of the union's Ford division. Yet more revelations of deep corruption within one of the country's most famous private sector unions comes at an interesting time for the right, a time when a handful of social conservatives see a possibility of working with private sector unions as preferable to working with the right's historical allies of free marketeers and business interests. One commentator called it the Eisenhower option, noting Republican rhetoric from the 1950s that was more favorable to labor unions. Of course, at the time, some labor unions were far more centrist than they are now. The most prominent labor ally of Ike was one Dave Beck of the Teamsters Union, whom one commentator dubbed Republicans' labor statesman. And in news that should shock no one familiar with the history of the Teamsters Union, Beck was bent. Investigators with the Senate Select Committee on Improper Activities in the Labor Management Field alleged that Beck had misappropriated at least $322,000 in 1950s money, over $3 million in inflation-adjusted dollars today, in union funds. Dave Beck took the fifth repeatedly. He would later be convicted of tax crimes, but received a pardon from another big-government Republican, Gerald Ford. And while today's Teamsters may have left behind the infamous financial schemes of Beck and his successor Jimmy Hoffa, they've replaced corruption with an institutional alliance with hard-left ideology, through change to win— a left-wing labor federation created by the Service Employees International Union and chaired by Teamsters President James P. Hoffa, son of Jimmy, and the coalition America Votes, a coalition of major left-wing organizations that work together on advocacy projects. So while a number of union members and their families, somewhere between a third to 45 percent, depending on the political climate and particular candidates, vote for Republicans, even the historically Republican-friendliest major union is institutionally dedicated to full-spectrum left liberalism on issues from immigration to state-level pro-life legislation to gun control. 
Prospective ally beware. It's not Dad's marble palace anymore. Twitter announced last week that it would prohibit political advertising on the website, barring promotion of tweets advertising candidates or promoting political issues. Liberals praised the decision until it occurred to some of them that the prohibition might apply to liberal advocacy, leading U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren to condemn Twitter for potentially barring environmentalist issue ads. The ban is going to be troublesome for Twitter to implement, as Daniel Tenreiro argues at National Review. Beyond the obvious questions of what counts as political and who decides what is political, the policy will also benefit incumbent Twitter users with large followings, like, to choose one at random, real Donald Trump, perhaps an unattended effect of the policy of liberal-leaning Twitter officialdom. Facebook, for its part, is attempting to stay out of the political speech policing game, facing criticism from liberals who want Facebook to fact-check political ads and ban those that fails. Presumably, the fact-checkers would be Facebook employees, whose political donations skew strongly Democratic, according to an analysis by data firm GovPredict. One can imagine that if, say, the staff of a Provo-based conservative news outlet rather than a Palo Alto-based liberal tech conglomerate were doing the fact-checking, liberals would have a different opinion. Another example of the Maxim Barone's law. All process arguments are insincere, including this one. And our final item for this week concerns, among other businesses, Palo Alto-based technology conglomerates. Left progressives within the corporate structure are advancing liberal policies they can't get at the ballot box, for now at least, through businesses themselves, using environment social governance, ESG, or corporate social responsibility advocacy. Shareholder activism by liberal institutions like union pension funds that hold stock and cast their proxy votes for ideological advantage, or animal liberation groups that buy stock in companies just to harass them at proxy voting time, are hardly new. But as Justin Danhoff of the National Center for Public Policy Research notes, a change in ownership at one of the major proxy advisor services for corporate institutional investors made it far more open to supporting left liberal shareholder proposals. In addition to shareholder proposals and proxy voting, left liberal interest groups, most prominently the LGBT interest group Human Rights Campaign, use rating scorecards to pressure major companies to adopt left liberal internal and external relations policies. The latest wave of activism has come from gun control organizations, which have targeted major retailers to get them to stop firearms and ammunition sales, and pressured banks to cut off financial services to arms manufacturers and dealers. Additionally, Levi's made a six-figure grant to a gun control group aligned with ex-New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg. But that should be less surprising than it sounds. The Levi Strauss Company's corporate philanthropy and two foundations associated with the Haas family that has been involved in the management of Levi Strauss & Company have long histories of supporting broad-spectrum left-wing activism. In his concluding remarks, Danhoff encourages conservative and free-market consumers to follow left progressives' model and become stakeholders, willing to pressure corporations rather than making often fickle and often false vows of boycotts. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.